0: Water. Earth. Fire. Air.
1: Long ago, the four nations lived together in harmony. Then,
0: everything changed when the Fire Nation attacked. Only the Avatar, master of all four elements, could stop them. But when the world needed him most, he vanished. Hundred years passed, and my brother and I discovered the new avatar, an airbender named Aang. And although his airbending skills are great, he has a lot to learn before he's ready to save anyone. But I believe Aang can save the world.
1: Hello, and welcome to Animates. I'm Paige. I'm Chris. And as you probably know by now, today we are discussing Avatar The Last Airbender. By M. Woo! Night
0: Shyamalan. Yeah. We are making our foyer into live action movies now. So we're going to talk about The Last Airbender movie, which everybody <laughs> loved immensely. Uh.
1: No, just kidding. We're discussing the critically acclaimed uh, animated show, Avatar The Last Airbender, Uh, season two, bitches. We're doing it.
0: I'm still salty that we're not doing the live action film, but I'll live. I'm
1: sorry, Chris. (laughs) I know that you really wanted to do it, but we have to keep our listeners happy.
0: The twist is that you expect it to be good and that it's really bad.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Unlike Avatar the show, which is, you expect it to be good, and yeah, it's actually really, really good. Like, some people would argue one of the best Western cartoons ever made.
0: I don't know what people expected out of it. I don't know that people actually, when it first aired, I don't think they expected it to be... As to be what it was. I don't think anybody had any expectations about it because of how unique it ended up being.
1: Yeah, I know. Like, I did not watch it when it was airing, but I do remember when it was airing once or twice when there was like not much on TV. My dad turned it on. He was like, no, this show's pretty good. (laughs) (laughs) Like he wasn't following it or anything, but he was like, oh, no, like this seems like it's a pretty good show.
0: I I had to have seen it when it was airing. I'm pretty sure that I did. It was high school. I'm pretty sure that I had watched it in high school.
1: So. Yeah, I was in probably, like, I was in middle school, and I definitely was aware of it existing, and I think I caught an episode now and again, but I didn't, like, watch it. I didn't watch it until, actually, just after I graduated from college is when I watched it.
0: Oh wow! You're still a Avatar babby.
1: Yeah, definitely. This was only my third watch through
0: of Avatar. <laughs> That's okay. You will ca- you you will watch it again someday, and you will you will like it even more.
1: Yeah. Okay. So, do we want to give a little quick background on the show?
0: Yes, of course. And, and this is. The first show that we have done since we followed the the four networks we talked about, and we're actually kind of returning to the original network we started the sh- the the podcast with, which is Nickelodeon. Yeah. Avatar, like it aired on Nickelodeon, which to me is still really weird. Uh, it, it seems too good for Nickelodeon. <laughs> hey, wow! How dare you <laughs> say that to the network that aired Hey Arnold? That's true. Um, That's true. You've got a point. I, yeah, see? Dr. Chris wins again. <laughs> Avatar is weird because it's like teenage animation. I don't know. It aired on Nickelodeon, and Paige tells me that the, the show, like the network, believed that their prime age group that was targeted by the show was 6 to 11. And we'll, we'll talk about the consequences of that. But I was really surprised because, to me, the prime target was everybody of all ages, but particularly people 12 and up.
1: Yeah, I agree. Um, I know I'm having trouble finding the exact source, but I know that I read. Here it is. Yeah. Yeah. So it was, yeah, the target demo was 6 to 11. So it seems from things I've read that there are sort of overlapping demos for cartoons, or maybe it shifts based on network. But you get like a, you know, baby to 6 demo, and then a 6 to 11, and then like a 10 to 14 demo. And it seems very strange to me that this was targeted at the 6 to 11 demo rather than the 10 to 14. That one seems to me and somewhere else it says uh there's there's a bigger swath of demo saying it's like the under 14 and it's really weird to me because it seems more aimed at middle school early high school even
0: it it deals with themes that i just don't think 6 to 11 year olds are really going to care about and definitely the bending is cool like the animation is cool but it I don't know it just seems like it really I don't know if the showrunners intended it for the 6 to 11 range they might have sold it to Nickelodeon so that Nickelodeon would have bought the show but I don't think the creators would have said oh yeah it's totally Mm -hmm. meant for seven year olds. Uh, yeah,
1: I mean, for example, when I was teaching summer school to rising second graders, they were we were doing, like, what's your favorite cartoon? And they asked me, and I was watching The Legend of Korra at the time, so I said, oh, The Legend of Korra. And one of the kids was like, I've seen that. It's scary. And while Avatar is not nearly as scary as Korra, there's still parts of it, I'm like, this would scare the shit out of a
0: six-year-old. And with Korra, it makes sense, because Korra was very much made with the people who watched the original Last Airbender. And at the time, those people would have at the very least been late teenagers. So that's co- true. That's why mature themes show up a bit more in Korra. Yeah. Like, people the fucking The emotional dying, themes
1: of Korra are much more adult.
0: People just, like, straight up get their heads blown off in late Korra. Um, yeah, that's true.
1: But we this is not about Korra. We will get to Korra, and believe me, I am super excited to do that, because, controversial op- opinion, I vacillate on Korra maybe even being better than Avatar. I don't know if it's better, but I certainly enjoy it a little bit more, but we're talking about Avatar today.
0: Uh, Avatar the West, airbender sometimes in some regions known as Avatar the Legend of Aang. Uh, started its auspicious run in February 2005 and ran for three years, had three consecutive seasons that ran regularly uh, until 2008. The show was originally created by Michael Dante DiMartino and Brian Konietzko. I have terrible names.
1: I normally say Konietzko, but I don't know if that's right. Konietzko.
0: And the show, uh, god, it's like fantasy, it's got action elements, there's romance, there's really everything that you could ever want as far as genre goes. But yeah. the, let's see here, the show ultimately has a pretty big cast, I wouldn't... It's definitely an ensemble show. There's certainly, like, a main group that we tend to follow. But there are many different, like, there are groups that each follow sort of their own main plot. That they, they intersect each other periodically. But it's like, we've got the main protagonists in one group and then side protagonists in other groups. And then our main antagonists in another. So we've got a bunch of voice actors that we have to talk uh-huh. about.
1: Yeah, so um, I would say my one major, like, because this leads into the voice actors, my one major criticism in terms of like wokeness of this show is that while it is great at everything it's portraying are like Asian or indigenous inspired, and clearly the characters are animated to look at least vaguely Asian or indigenous. Um, And so it's great in showing this sort of ethnically diverse appearing cast of characters. But in terms of voice actors, still pretty white. So, like, my one criticism is that, like, they're portraying all of these Asian-appearing characters, but they're still not giving work to Asian voice actors.
0: And I should say, um, it's not even, like, vaguely Asianic. It is each big f- culture in in the even like subcultures or or regional mm-hmm. regional cultures that we see in the show are based on some very distinct typically Asianic place. And uh, they
1: map pretty clearly. Yeah. I know that the creator said that they were uncomfortable. they felt like they mapped too clearly and they tried to like make it more, general later in development but it's still pretty clear um but we'll get into that in a minute let's talk about the voice actors real quick
0: uh all right so our our cast i we kind of have to introduce our main cast here so uh, of course let's start with the show's namesake the avatar a word that will be described in a second the avatar sort of our main hero ang we're only ever given a first name, Ang. We're really only given first names.
1: I don't think it's a wor-
0: world that really has surnames. So we've got Ang, who's <laughs> Zach, who I, I was just about to say, who's Zach did. Ang is voice acted by Zach Eisen. Mm-hmm. Let's see here. Katara. Oh, I'm just looking at the list, and Mako's on the list.
1: Um, I know. <coughs> so Katara is voiced by May Whitman.
0: Uh, we've got our main antagonist, Zuko, who is voiced by Dante Bosco, who is... Um, I always remember him from uh, whatever that Peter Pan movie was called. Hook. Yes!
1: Mm-hmm.
0: rufio yeah. <laughs> rufio which is a really really bad chance if you think about it <clears throat> honestly i've never seen hook <sighs> page we'll discuss this transgression later <laughs> um
1: <laughs> oh it should be noted based on my uh comments earlier dante bosco one of the asian people who was a voice actor he is filipino american
0: We've got Jack Decina, who is the voice of Sokka. The live-action movie calls him Sokka, and it should be rated as a crime against humanity. They um, also call
1: Aang Ong. What's wrong with them?
0: Uh, cr- yeah, crimes. Crimes. Um, the main so we've got Zuko, who is our main antagonist, right? Dante Bosco, and accompanying him is uh, a exiled general. Okay, okay. Is Iroh exiled, or did he just accompany Zuko?
1: I. It's unclear.
0: It is. Yeah, I've always uh, I always assumed that he at wasn't. First,
1: he was simply accompanying Zuko, but then later, when some things go down, that he also becomes considered sort of an exile um but it's uncle iroh our fave uh and for the first two seasons he was voiced by uh mako iwamatsu who often goes just by went just by mako um you know pretty prolific prolific japanese american actor who sadly uh passed away after the making of season two so he was replaced by Greg Baldwin as the voice of Iro, and uh, some people may note that the that Iro's tale in the episode "Tales of Bossing Say" is dedicated to Mako. Also, also, a major character in Korra is named Mako.
0: Also, in "Tales of Bossing Say," you've got tracks that were recorded by both people, and it's kind of disorienting a little bit. Cause,
1: oh i never noticed that yeah
0: mako is in the mako is in some scenes of Iroh's story he's like voiced by mako and then one or two which they probably added later were voiced by baldwin
1: mhm yeah it's heartbreaking we'll get there we'll talk about that um on the season 2 episode
0: uh so there is a uh, Eventually, in season two, Azula doesn't make her appearance until season two, but she is voiced (laughs) by Grey Delise, who is going to be a name that appears quite a bit as we go into the 2000s to now. Mm -hmm. She voices a lot of characters. She's kind of like our modern Kath DeSouci, or Kath Susie. I don't know why I said DeSouci. (laughs) A little bit of Freudian slip from DeLise's name. But a name that you will hear quite a bit um also when we most of you will know her from fairly odd parents she's the voice of vicky god then,
1: she's in everything i'm looking at it too she's in like literally
0: i wasn't lying when I would yeah be coming wow, up okay again
1: but then finally we have the man the myth the legend Mark Hamill, voicing Fire was Ozai himself.
0: (laughs) I'm sorry, you built it up so much, and (laughs) and then just, like, tripped over at the very end. Fuck you! It's like, walking up to get your PhD diploma and, like, stepping over your shoelaces.
1: Alright, alright, thank you for drawing attention to it uh, But the point is Mark Hamill's the GOAT And he's voicing a terrifying villain in the show As he does so well
0: He voices some smaller characters In the show too Like he Does he? he it's
1: so hard to tell Like He's such a talented voice actor That I have trouble rec- I can't recognize his voice The way that I do other voice actors
0: Yeah, he, he, he does Some minor voices in the show as well
1: Sure. Okay. Let's
0: cool. see. So um, that's
1: like our main so yeah. cast. Mm-hmm. Those are our major folks. Um, so let's get into it. Let's talk about the world a little bit. Um, so we mentioned it's very Asian-inspired to the point where you can kind of map the cultures very clearly onto stuff. For example, it's pretty clear and pretty obvious that the inspiration came forth. The water tribes equal Inuits. Uh, Earth Kingdom equals China. Uh, Air nomads equal Tibetan monks. And Fire Nation equals Japan, specifically like Imperial
0: Japan. Yeah, like... Edo slash Meiji Restoration Japan.
1: Yeah, very... Like, it's very Meiji. Very Meiji Restoration.
0: We've got... some subcultures that exist in the world that I think... They, they don't show up till later seasons, but, for example, we've got this really weird swamp tribe of waterbenders who are mapped to none other than the Louisiana Bayou.
1: Yeah, they're like... Cajun hillbillies, basically,
0: uh, and then we've got pr- the primordial firebenders who map onto like I,
1: uh, they're sort of like Aztec, Mayan. It's yes. sort of like a central, uh, like pre-contact Central American cultures.
0: Yes, that's perfect. Even I think even their like temples look. The same. They have a calendar that looks like the Mayan calendar.
1: Yeah. These subcultures are very cool and, uh, and, you know, there's another one that's uh, Sandbenders and we definitely have some things to say, especially about the Sandbenders, so we'll touch on those subcultures a little bit more in our following two episodes on Avatar.
0: The next thing about the world that is important to understand is bending. Oh, yes the actual sort of centerpiece of the show Mm -hmm.
1: so it's like a certain number of people in the world well not a certain number some people in the world a minority of people are um, psychokinetically capable of manipulating the four classical elements which are fire, water, earth and air um, and it is basically divided. It's like an ethnic division, sort of. Um, obviously, the people who can manipulate the elements are found in those countries, right? Earth Kingdom, Fire Nation, yeah, and Air Nomads, must, Water Tribe.
0: They never specifically talk. Like they talk about, like I don't know. They kind of talk about it in Korra, but it kind of just seems that it was all based on geography. That. Yeah. Firebenders just happen to geographically be in one place. And therefore, the country that formed, based on that geography, also, like, its emergent property was that it also contained firebenders and is very heavily fire-influenced in its aesthetics and principles and etc.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and there's also, obviously, the... Uh, physical environs of each of these countries begin to and their culture begins to reflect the element that people there are able to control and and we'll we'll get into that more when we see you know more of the earth kingdom in season two but obviously you know a people who can literally physically manipulate earth are going to have a pretty different physical environment than people who are able to manipulate water
0: the country or i guess the state i, I don't even know if we can call all of them a state i think the C- point is the one we know the least about is are the air nomads and mm-hmm. we have like no idea how their their society worked we're all, we're told that the, the nomad nomad is in the name so it kind of assumes they moved However, they have temples. They have temples at each cardinal point. And mm-hmm. we know that like they lived there and they grew there and, and they had kids. And these temples were shown to have a very homogeneous culture. But aside from that, we we have no idea if there was like a state of non-monks basically people who would have lived outside of the temples, but still would have been in like their own sort of air nomad nation or whatever. So we don't know. We don't know. But what we do know is that the air nomads were heavily spiritual regardless. And that their inherent spirituality means that every person born in their culture was a bender. Oh, do we
1: know that?
0: Yes. Yes. Every person okay. born into the air nomads is an airbender. every single one
1: is that like um, from the comics?
0: That is something that eventually does get sort of it's it's only ever implied in the last airbender and it's implied because we whenever we see an air nomad, they're always an airbender every single time
1: and that That's, is not yeah.
0: true of the other of the other nations. It's later revealed yeah. that it has to do with their spirituality. that oh, okay. Bending is a reflection of your spiritual nature, and therefore the monks, being super like spiritual in everyday life, have a stronger affinity for bending.
1: All right, makes sense. Yeah. okay, so speaking of spirits, right? Um, this world has spirits, uh, in this world, spirits are a real thing. Um, there is a division between the physical world and the spirit world, but it is a semi-permeable barrier, uh, that sometimes spirits appear, um, to people in the physical world, and they can definitely have a physical impact on the physical world and sometimes people are able to uh, it's literally like a spirit journey it's literally uh, like a, a spirit quest um they're able to like meditate or become unconscious and their consciousness or their spirit itself can travel in the spirit world so that um so the show is like takes its spirituality seriously basically on um, that literal existence of spirits has impact on the world and obviously when we get into Korra that becomes like a huge deal uh it's less of an overarching thing in Avatar it's more just like that it exists and it only becomes like really important for certain episodes or certain plot points
0: Yeah, they kind of, it's kind of relegated to a monster of the week deal Mm -hmm. when spirits are involved.
1: Yeah, definitely. But we definitely see that, um, just one point that we wanted to touch on, and this leads into it nicely, is that spirits seem important to the health of the world. Spirits are really connected to nature. And so we see that. When nature is out of balance, that means that mankind is out of balance with the spirit world. And there's a really great example of this in season one is the Havai spirit. So there's been a forest has been raised, and that enrages in, a spirit who begins kidnapping people from a village near the forest. And um, the Avatar, as the connection between this, the, the world of humankind and the spirit world, needs to uh, figure out what's going on and kind of settle it down.
0: This, as a child, was probably my first really strong exposure to animism. Mm-hmm. I, the only other place where I would have seen animi- animistic ideas would have been like brief exposure to certain Native American groups. Mm -hmm. Um, who hold like similar like animistic view like views of the world so like Mm -hmm. things have spirits places have spirits they do different things and represent different people or or ideas so that was cool i really liked it it helped expand my noggin
1: yeah definitely Um, and so one last, like, I think that that's really all I have to say about spirits specifically in season one. Um, there are, well, I mean, there's a big, huge plot thing with (laughs) spirits in season one, but I think we'll, we'll give that a minute and we'll get to that here in a minute. I just want to say something, another thing about the world that this is happening in before we move on, which is that it's like, it's totally steampunk. I think that this show is why steampunk got so popular when we were in college. <laughs> <laughs> it, wow, yes, that's a steampunk. big claim. hmm Yeah, so it's like, clearly this world is in the very early stages of an industrial revolution. Um, it's mostly the Fire Nation that has industrial products, which, like, it makes sense, you know, because if you think about it, in our world, so much of the industrial revolution is predicated on burning various sources of fuel and so oh you're the fire nation like you burn shit you've got you find coal you use your firebending you light it on fire and bam now you have a coal-fired ship you know um so i think we think that that has there's stuff to be said in the show about um, industrial nations versus non-industrial nations in terms of imperialism. So, like, the Fire Nation here would be England. Like, it's the first country where industrialization, like, really takes off and they end up gaining this huge advantage because they have these metal steamships and, uh, like, tanks and eventually airships and all this cool shit. And so they're able to, like, go in and crush these societies that haven't like gotten off the ground in terms of industrialization yet.
0: Well, let's, let's back up because the intro explains it, but the state of the world is that for a hundred years, there's been a war and the fire nation has been systematically invading and conquering the rest of the world. And, To be fair, it doesn't seem like they've done a particularly good job of it in a hundred years. Like, they haven't colonized the water tribes. They've dealt them terrible blows, but they haven't colonized them. Only part of the Earth Kingdom is, like, in fact, it seems most of the conquering gets done over the course of the show. Um, Which kind of just seems like a creative, like, choice. It builds drama. But... The Fire Nation started a war a hundred years ago, and the Avatar was supposed to stop it. But Aang does some stuff, and he can't stop it. So uh, that's a that's sort of a problem, and the Fire Nation goes unchecked by the rest of the world because, partially, because of all the stuff that Paige was just talking about. And
1: yeah, and in terms of like the fact that they haven't conquered more, like if you think about it, you know we have this map and. The Fire Nation is, it's a set of islands, it's pretty small. So they are seafaring, like they don't have these massive land armies. So they have sort of the coastlines of the Earth Kingdom, which is a huge, huge landmass. They have sort of the coastlines of that conquered, but haven't really fully penetrated into the interior. And the Water Tribes are at these really remote locations that you have to get to, to on the ocean and they're covered with snow so obviously the water tribes are going to have if they have even a few waterbenders left to them are going to have you know an advantage in that location
0: and it should be stated that the the really big coup that the fire nation engaged in was literal genocide of the air nomads so i suppose it's not fair to say that they haven't been efficacious, if, if I would dare use the word. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, they've done a lot. They've done a lot. Yeah,
1: like, let's just be clear. So, episode two of this show that Nickelodeon says is for six to eleven-year-olds, we find out that Aang has been asleep for a hundred years, and when he was asleep, the Fire Nation carried out a successful, complete genocide of his entire nation, of his entire people.
0: It's actually kind of hard to believe now that I'm hearing it out loud. Like,
1: Like that's never happened on Earth. So far as I know.
0: Actually, you know what? My brain kind of hurts right now. I've never questioned that until this second. Not a single fired or Not a single airbender got away. Not a single airbender in the other temples got away.
1: Yeah. I mean, like, they never go into it, but it seems like... The idea is that they carried out a, like a coordinated surprise attack simultaneously on all of the temples. But then also in Korra, we're led to believe that maybe the nomad part is that they would migrate from temple to temple throughout the year. So maybe at like any given time, the entire,
0: oh. you know, entirety of the air
1: nomads are in a, one temple.
0: That would make sense. That would do it.
1: And people like say at other points in the... Um, uh, show that they thought for some reason that Sky Bison were extinct. So perhaps there was, you know, the attack begins with a slaughter of the Air Bison, so people can't get away, you know, maybe it's something like that.
0: Yeah, okay. I, the holes are kind of starting to be filled in. I'm skeptical, but the point is, is that that's the status quo of the show. And, yeah,
1: the, like, Aang is literally the last airbender because his people were genocided 100 years ago. Like, literally all of them were murdered by the Fire Nation. And it, so the Fire Nation is like, all right, we're industrializing, we're going to go to war, we're going to conquer everything, let's announce our presence, fucking genocide.
0: And we... It's never kind of like... Sh- it's not really shuffled under the carpet um, because we see... Lots and lots of skeletons in the air temple that our main cast eventually visit. Like they don't, they, they don't keep it hidden that a lot of these people died.
1: Yeah. And like, um, I think one of the first things we see is that, uh, with the air genocide, which again, episode two, that's when they're in this temple and they're skeletons uh, Aang finds, like, the skeleton of his friend and mentor, Monk Gyatso, surrounded by dozens of Fire Nation soldier skeletons. So, like, despite being a society of monks and peaceful people, they, they didn't go down without a fight.
0: And we never see... Okay, we never see airbending of lethal varieties until Korra. So, I, it always... It kind of makes sense that Aang wouldn't do that. But it, I don't know. The the anime person inside of me was like, "Damn, show me some lethal airbending." Airshow's
1: program, Chris.
0: <sighs> yeah, as I'm so often reminded by <laughs> by their censorship. We'll we'll get to that. But um some other parallels that we drew since we're talking about nations here, one of the big parallels is, okay, so Fire Nation, imperialist Japan, um, you know, very clear historical allegory almost, but also like England fire like Paige had mentioned that, especially the steampunk portion, the industrializing portion, uh, also kind of felt like, Especially the idea of, like, spreading the... They make a big point later in the show about, like, spreading the... Sort of like a white man's burden, except, uh, obviously, they're not white, but it's, like, jingoist, we are superior, we need to take our superior culture to the masses idea that they end up spreading. The
1: Fire Nation is pretty fascist, honestly. Like, there's this really, like... This moment in season one with Admiral Zhao, where he's giving, he's standing on a balcony with huge, long red, like, fire banners behind him, speaking to a cheering crowd of soldiers who are standing, you know, at attention. He's like, where are the sons and daughters of fire, the superior element, right? And it's like, it could not be more clear what kind of comparison they're trying to make, like, the images they're trying to evoke. It's very Nuremberg rallies, you know?
0: uh okay so now that we've got some of the big ideas out of the way let's get into some of the character uh dynamics lessons there are there will be plenty of big like so we've already got like historical political uh parallels going on genocide um exposure to like there's there's a lot going on uh-huh. here yeah. Uh, already, especially compared to some of the other shows that we've talked about, um, but plot naturally drives a lot of the show, and we begin with our our big three people. We've got Katara, our our waterbender, Sokka, our comedy relief, nonbender, nonbender. And Aang, our airbender, the last one, he's our avatar. And they find each other, and they go on, they start their adventure. Aang, after waking up, is basically told, listen, you have to save the world, you need to defeat the Fire Nation, you have to kill the Fire Lord, because as we all know, a nation-state topples when you kill its leader. Um, (laughs) Very, very 12-year-old notion of saving the world.
1: The Fire Nation has no deep state. It cannot there is no designated survivor. It cannot survive the assassination of its uh of its leader.
0: So we've got those uh the first episode also introduces Zuko, our exiled Fire Lord or Fire Fire Nation prince,
1: my son. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: Who's traveling with his uncle Iroh? Who, at the beginning, all we know is that he's a disgraced general. And they're out looking for the Avatar because his father was basically giving him a go away quest. <laughs> Just like, this is a quest. You're not going to complete it. Go do it. Leave me alone. Because his father's a douche nugget. And we'll talk about exactly how he is that. But. That's our main cast. Zuko starts out as an antagonist. Very clearly, very into the Fire Nation, very aggressive. He needs ki- to
1: restore his honor.
0: Only cares about his honor and not anybody else. Rude.
1: Super mean to Iroh for Super no reason. Super
0: mean to his uncle. Just like, not woke at all. No, he is not a woke bae. <laughs> if you had told me in 2007 that I would have heard somebody call Zuko a woke bay.
1: I said he wasn't a woke bay.
0: But we all know. That's true. That eventually. That true. So, Zuko's setup here is very important. You'll see why later. If you've never seen the show. Um.
1: I mean, can I just say why? Can I just say why, Chris?
0: <sighs> just let I yeah, fine. Get it's off. It's because
1: track. he needs to execute the single greatest redemption arc in the history of television. That's why.
0: I'm I'm somewhere between agreeing and disagreeing with Paige's statement. <laughs> I I. It is an amazing arc. Is it the best? It is. Maybe. Yes. <laughs> But yeah,
1: so Zuko's a dick. He starts out like our main antagonist. He is the worst, but he slowly becomes more of a dual protagonist. Um, And I think that him becoming a dual protagonist, really, that shift happens before even he starts to become a better person. Because we just see him so often that you can't help but be interested in him and like want good things for him. Even if he's still being a dick, you're like, Oh yeah, here's more Zuko. Like, let's find out what's going on with Zuko.
0: Well, they're very quick to provide situational explanations for Zuko's life. Oh yeah. Rapply. To give, to give us a reason to like him.
1: Do we want to, do we want to talk about it? Well, do we okay. Talk so let's, about-
0: let's start with Ang first. Okay, okay. So we've got Aang and Katara and Saka who leave home on Aang's flying bison with six legs. Yes, all of those things are true. His name is
1: Appa.
0: They were riding on leopard, penguin, or uh, penguin seals. So all of the animals in this world are are, uh, uh, a chimera where they are. Yeah,
1: they're all weird hybrids.
0: They're all hybrids. Uh, Lion, turtle.
1: Turtle duck, platypus bear, moose lion.
0: Uh yeah, so some of them some of them get pretty funny.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh so they they get together after fighting off Zuko, and after Aang, this 12-year-old boy outclasses trained soldiers on a military vessel. <laughs> <laughs> because um This is a good time to point out that the show, despite all of this great stuff that it's got in it, it, it's still very fun and very action oriented and it's just like a lot of fun to see fights and bending and it's very dynamic. it's very dynamic.
1: Bending's the coolest like it's so cool.
0: <laughs> it is it is a very awesome magic system to to watch. One of the better ones. Even including anime. So, fight me, weebs. Um, watch all the weebs come out of the woodwork.
1: You say as though you are not yourself Shut up. a
0: weeb. Shut up. I am not a weeb. I'm going to set the record straight right now. I am not a weeb, and that is all I will say about it. Um, not that we. You're may... a
1: responsible Western anime fan. Oh
0: my god. <laughs> I am... Well... M- Um, when we talk about an anime in the future, this will come back up and I am ready. I am so ready, but this is an American animation. So it's technically not anime, but whatever. Um, So the first conflicts we deal with are personal, personal in nature. Aang starts to really have to face his history. He ran away a hundred years ago. After the monks found out he was the Avatar and wanted to push him away from his mentor, Monk Giazzo. So he ran away. And it's very tragic because Giazzo comes into the, his room and, and says, Aang, I'm never going to let them take you. And Aang has ran away. And it's the last time that Aang would have had a chance to see Gyatso. And it's very emotional. It's very sad. It's very sad. Very, very sad. And he gets trapped in a storm, and he goes Avatar State, which is something we'll talk about later, and he water bends himself into an ice sphere, stasis cube, and <laughs> yes, I just smashed those words together. With
1: Appa, to be clear.
0: With Appa, his flying bison. And they, they stay in this ice until Katara wakes him up. So Aang is starting to remember all of this stuff. And he's going through this huge guilt search in his head. And it gets worse when they go to the air temple, where he finds out that they're all dead. And he, this little 12-year-old boy has to cope with the belief that it's his fault, that everything he knew was gone, that there were a bunch of kids there that would have gotten killed. Like, it, it it's very... For, I don't know. It would have been heavy for me as a 14 year old or fifty. I would have been 15 watching all of this happen. Um, but it's just sort of like the, the psychology of guilt is very strong here and features very maturely in, in this style of show. And it's not brushed over with a nice little ending. Yeah, Sokka and Katara are there to help him feel better. But it never really gets swept under the rug or resolved. They don't leave where Aang's like, I'm I'm better. Uh, mm-hmm. Which is something well, I they think, could have done. And I'm glad uh, they didn't do it.
1: Yeah, I think a key part of Aang's character throughout the series is that he the weight of his responsibility is very heavy on him. And that's part of why he ran away is because he was afraid of that responsibility. And that and he has guilt, even guilt over that, guilt over having felt that fear and of having run away from that responsibility. And that makes the responsibility weigh even heavier on him. You know, at times that he feels like, I need to do this alone. I can't allow other people to get hurt. It's my responsibility as the Avatar, um, even though he never wanted to be. That That's really central to his character and to his emotional journey, journeys throughout the show.
0: They... He- Just right off the bat, they do a very good, like, their their, their character design is very convincing. Never once does it feel like the characters are two-dimensional. Even Sokka, who could have turned into kind of just like, oh, this is just a run-of-the-mill, wacky teenage boy sort of thing. Even at the beginning, he doesn't really, because responsibility is a primary theme of the show. So we're never going to leave responsibility behind. Sokka... Has the responsibility to protect his village. Katara um, doesn't really start out with a lot of responsibility, but eventually she kind of, it's kind of lumped upon her as the show continues. And Zuko has to deal with responsibility for his actions later in the show. So it's a big recurring theme that is done very convincingly, very realistically. Nobody is ever forgiven outright, they always have to earn it. So, we've got this really good picture of what responsibility and guilt looks like for sort of mm-hmm. kids to see.
1: Yeah. But, like, we also see early on in the show, in season one, that the dark side of feeling that responsibility is that guilt and that guilt can can cripple you. And we see that um, in the Jongjong episode, in the episode where Aang kind of stumbles upon a firebending master named Zhang Zhang. Aang is still a 12-year-old boy, and he's not taking things as seriously as Zhang Zhang wants him to. You know, Zhang Zhang's a very harsh master. And it culminates in Aang not being in control of some fire and accidentally burning Katara. And he's so... Even though that leads to Katara discovering she has healing powers, and she rapidly heals herself, he's so consumed and overburdened by the guilt he feels for having caused her harm that he vows to never learn firebending and it holds him back for a significant amount of time
0: just in case anybody is confused uh, Aang is special because Aang is the avatar which means that not only is he an airbender but he can bend every element oh my god Uh, I can't
1: believe we haven't explained that yet he,
0: he yeah I know it's kind of we you can tell we kind of just assume that you've seen some of the show. But yeah. <laughs> he 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 has to go around the world to defeat the Fire Lord and ergo the Fire Nation because twelve-year-old plot. We have Aang has to learn how to do all the bendings. So he, he meets Zhang Zhang and he's excited to learn fire bending, even though it's out of order. The Avatar cycle is where uh, Basically, an avatar is born, and when they die, they're reincarnated. And the cycle has gone on for thousands of years.
1: 10,000 is what they say in Korra.
0: They always have to learn bending in the same order. It always goes wind, water, earth, fire, on and on and on and on. And yeah, each, so they start with
1: the element of the nation they're in, born into, and <laughs> Aang's in. air. What?
0: <laughs> sorry, don't continue.
1: Oh, I'm sorry. Did I interrupt you?
0: No, 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 no. You're good. You're good. You're good.
1: Okay, okay, okay. Yes. Yeah, so they start learning the element of the of the nation or culture they're born into. So for Aang, it's air. Um, and then they go through the Avatar cycle in that order. So for Aang, it would be air, water, earth, fire. Uh, and then for Korra, it's like water, earth, fire, air, etc., etc.
0: We see, and Aang wants to skip ahead. And I think, I don't know, I think that's kind of an interesting lesson about don't get ahead of, don't try to run before you can walk sort of deal. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. So Aang is like, teach me firebending. And Zhang Zhang is like, no, you're supposed to learn waterbending first. And he's like, well, I'm learning waterbending from Katara. Um, <laughs> so like a child, one of the many moments we're reminded that as as mature as Aang can be, most of the time he's a 12-year-old boy. Yeah. So it's... Yeah, and, and I don't know. I always... I, I like to see it that the show emphasizes that bad things leads to good things. Um, the case in point was the fact that, yes, Aang burns Katara, but she learns how to heal because she got burned. Ergo, she saves his life later on mm-hmm. because she can heal. Yep. Ergo, it was a good thing. Aang getting lost in the storm... If he had stayed with Giazzo, he would have been killed.
1: Yeah, it does it does do that a lot, I think. Like it's very much like um yeah, like you know when when God closes a door, he opens a window. Oh my
0: god. Your your <laughs> your like petite Christian lady voice is on point.
1: <laughs> yeah, but also something really quick in that episode, so we've known prior to that in the show that the avatar means maintains a spiritual connection to their past lives and that sometimes when aang like meditates and focuses on it he can communicate usually with his most recent life avatar roku which becomes important later but this time with jong jong when he's like way way teach me firebending and jong jong's like nope you're not ready um Fucking like Avatar Roku takes over Eng's body and materializes and he's like, You will dare to tell me I am not ready. You know, he goes all like Gandalf, you know, he's like, I've mastered the elements ten thousand times. You will teach the avatar firebending. And Chong Chong's like, Holy shit, okay, fine, 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 I'll teach firebending. And what a childish use of, you know, your past lives. I don't think Roku was correct in his intercession at that time.
0: Well, maybe Roku understood that it's a mistake Aang needed to make.
1: Hmm. Yeah, I mean, maybe. Maybe.
0: If Roku is as wise as we see him be, come on, you got to assume that Roku did it for a reason.
1: Hmm. Okay, fair enough.
0: That or it's just a plot hole. Take your pick. (laughs)
1: <laughs>
0: I choose not plot hole. Uh, Fair be, enough Because okay. I love the show
1: Let's quickly Let's talk about the other Characters because we haven't really gotten to them yet So let's start with Team Avatar um, Katara She's a woman She's from <laughs> the Southern Water Tribe She's a waterbender There aren't any other waterbenders in the Southern Water Tribe anymore That's her Katara Basics
0: Um, she is empathetic, stern. She's
1: extremely maternal. She gets mad about Uh, that later, but she's, she really is extremely maternal.
0: Um, feminist firecracker. She is, she's dope. They actually have, in season one, they really, they actually have this really cool hidden feminist plot, um, going on, where, um... So so they they travel together for a while and eventually they make it to the Northern Water Tribe where Aang is gonna learn water bending. And Katara this whole time has been self-taught. And
1: And still kicking ass.
0: She she's like, Okay, I'm gonna learn from a real master. And in the Southern Water Tribe, they had no prohibitions on who could bend. And this is the first time that we see society intersect with bending in a palpable, negative way.
1: Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, and it's our first brush with institutionalized sexism. Like, we've seen personal sexism in the show, but not institutionalized sexism. So basically, she gets up there, she and Aang are all like, woohoo, we're gonna go learn some bending. Yeah. And then they show up, and uh, Master Paku is like, uh, What the hell is she doing here? And Aang's like, What? She's, you know, she's here for water bending lessons. Katara's like, Yeah, I'm a bender. Let's get down to it. And he's like, Oh, no, 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 honey. Uh, this is for the men. You go play with your dollies with the other girls, um, which means that, like, Healing. The women, the women who have bending are powers yeah, are in the in the water tribe are only allowed to heal. They aren't allowed to do like the creative or martial elements of bending.
0: Yeah, and we later find out that Katara's family has a history of standing up for themselves like this because it turns out that Paku once loved a northern water tribe. Woman who was also a bender, and this woman left the Northern Water Tribe. It's never stated exactly why, but based on the context of that episode, which is Katara fighting for her rights to bend like men, mm-hmm. that her um, grandmother wait. L- left.
1: Grand grand's not a bender. Um she it's explicitly said because she's still around in the Southern Water Tribe, it's explicitly oh, wait, said right. she's not a bender. Um and I wanna say not to be not to well actually you, but don't they say I might be wrong, but don't they say that it was because she it was an arranged marriage to Pakku, and she was like, nah, fuck this and fled
0: well, to the but, Southern Water Tribe? Okay, but in a way that's still like fighting for that's still fighting against, like, institutional Yeah, patriarchy.
1: it's still, oh, yeah, yeah, your point still stands. I was just quibbling because right. I am a
0: pedant. Well, no, that's good. <laughs> Let's keep our details straight. Good. Um,
1: so she still leaves. But she definitely was like, "No, nah, fuck this. I'm not doing an arranged marriage. Peace.
0: And it turns out Paku actually loved her, and mm-hmm. when they actually end up getting together again. It's cute. It's, it's cute. real cute. But Paku, after realizing this, he's like, oh, wow my entire life has been defined by this sexist crap. And he... Yeah. But only after Katara shows that she's better than any other man. Right? And isn't that always the point? That women can only be equal when they're better than every other man. Which is kind of like a shitty benchmark.
1: Yeah. And that is the thing is like... Really, in this show... This show has really badass women. But like, the women in this show are like... They're so badass. You know, they're so powerful and incredible. There aren't really very many just, like... There's no female Sokka, you know, in this show.
0: Toph, kind of.
1: What? No, Toph is so powerful. She's the greatest earthbender alive.
0: Not in the power part, in the, like, comedic relief department.
1: Okay, fair enough. But Toph... is not here yet. There is no Toph, so far as we're concerned.
0: So we've got... Um, (laughs) There's another episode that touches on sexism and it has to do with Sokka. Sokka up until this point, it's like the second or third episode. It's like the third episode. Sokka hasn't really been shown up to this point to have been particularly (laughs) sexist, but he basically, they go to a, a Kyoshi Island and on this island, The women are warriors, the Kiyoshi warriors, and they wear kimonos. They wear
1: makeup. They're fans. They're very cool.
0: And Sokka makes fun of them when they greet him on the beach. It's like, oh, what are you going to like, makeup us to death? Mm -hmm. And Sokka eventually learns his lesson. Paige, would you like to describe how he learns a lesson?
1: Yes, it's dope. And, and just to be clear, uh, Chris, I was having trouble hearing you, but, like, Sokka has been behaving sexistly for the first three episodes and at the beginning of this episode, like, he's like, Katara, sew my pants. Girls are better at sewing, right? He's being a real dick about it. So, basically, he goes and interrupts the Kyoshi Warriors and their leader, Suki, um, whilst they are practicing and is like, oh, yeah, yeah, sure, I'll give you a lesson, I'll show you a few things, and gets his ass completely handed him by Suki, because he's a dumbass, and she's trained since childhood to be a warrior, and she's awesome. Um, and, but he swallows his pride, and straight up, like, genuflects to Suki later on, and is like, please teach me to be a warrior, and he literally dresses up in the makeup, and the dress, and with the fan, and learn shit from Suki and he very, very quick, like from that experience, that's all that it took for him to understand that girls are powerful and that he has things to, and that women can be effective warriors and he has things to learn from women and
0: that they deserve respect. If only the real world could be that straightforward. I know, right? Like in this world, 90% of the time, that kind of embarrassing experience would only cause a person to trench deeper into their belief. Mm -hmm. Because self-justification is a bitch psychologically. Just like the number of social, like, psychological mechanisms we use unconsciously that are designed to protect our self-image, beliefs, self-esteem, and worldview are insane. And they're very Mm -hmm. powerful, and it's very annoying. But luckily, this is a show where people are slightly idealized.
1: Yeah, so for Sokka, he ends up like he is a good enough person that he very quickly learns his lesson. And also, Suki gives him a kiss, which becomes important later. Um, so, yeah, Sokka in general, I really like Sokka. Through season one, he's primarily comedic relief. Um, he does get like more complex and interesting the further the show goes on. He sort of has like a reverse flanderization process that happens to him. Um, but he, so he's a non-bender, he's Katara's older brother, and he got left behind when all of the men in the Southern Water Tribe went off to war because he was too young, and so he, one of his primary motivating factors, at least in season one, is sort of a desperation to prove himself as a man and as a warrior, and be important and live up to his image in his mind of uh, you know his father and the other men in his community.
0: Do you think that he's a decent portrayal of a healthy masculinity at like post-suki?
1: The further the show goes on, the more that that is the case. Yes. This show is a wash with portrayals of healthy masculinity. I even have an argument that a serious major theme of this show is becoming a man and deciding what kind of man you want to be because we see many different examples of different ways to be a man many of which are healthy some of which are not and major and especially with Zuko that's a huge thing is like becoming an adult becoming a man and what kind of man he wants to be
0: Ooh, I like that I like everything you just said Thank you. (laughs) Um,
1: But yeah, I feel like as the show goes on, like, you know, all of our male character, all of our major characters pretty much are adolescents and they're all... I think that by the end of the show, pretty much all of them are a healthy example of masculinity. (laughs)
0: Excuse me. Um, Okay, so as... Team Avatar is traveling about. We get a really big exposure to a lot of children. Like, children are a really big focal point of the show. And in particular, especially when we meet child resistors, the Kyoshi Warriors are young, they're all teenagers. The war has made children adults. Mm-hmm. That, like, the reality of the war is that children are left to fend for themselves and their countries.
1: Yeah, and I think that's why we see such maturity from such young people. I think Katara especially is a great example of it, of her um, steadiness, her nurturing, her sense of responsibility. You know, she and her own mom, brother's for years, because her mom is and her dad's away at war, she has to be.
0: Trauma tends to do that to people, like, yeah, definitely. Um, a lot of people look at kids who are very mature like that. I don't know, the, like, clearly, these people have all been many of these people have experienced trauma before. When we get to the uh, like, jet and his crew. That is incredibly evident. Like, they all have a story of trauma, basically. Um, Katara basically saw her mother Mm die-ish. She was there. She saw her the moment before she was killed. So there's, like, a lot of trauma going around. Every... Pretty much every child responds to that trauma with resilience. But that's not really surprising from a kid's show. They're not going to show the people who do not respond with resilience.
1: For sure. But I think that part of what's interesting about Jet is that this is, you know, besides Team Avatar themselves, this is the first time we're running into a bunch of kids where there are no adults around at all. It's just all these, like, teenage refugees and it really reminds you that even though they're they've all been traumatized and they're all coming from this sort of war-torn environment, but they're all still teenagers after all.
0: You know, and I I'm just now realizing that Jet Jet is the example of a maladaptive response to trauma. Yeah. For He's sure. like the only one. Him and Zuko. Zuko for a while anyway. Um
1: yeah, and Jet Jet ends up redeeming himself in the end as well,
0: but... But, yeah, in a in a show like this, I don't know, Jet, he's on the track to developing antisocial personality disorder, for sure, um, by the time uh-huh. he is, it usually manifests by around Jet's age, so, like, his trauma could very well have created ASPD in him, but... For reasons, because it's a show, we want redemption, and this does sometimes happen to people, right? He he ends up redeeming himself, but in season two, but Jed starts out being like, "Yeah, let's just totally kill civilians because because I'm yeah. mad." Um, he
1: likes to be. He likes the power that he has. He lies to people. He manipulates people. Totally. He victimizes antisocial. the weak.
0: Total antisocial personality. Like, completely. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and in a situation that happens sometimes. Sometimes people develop that problem when they're traumatized.
1: Yeah. So. And we see here, like, another example, you know, of they're just teenagers after all, is Katara goes completely moony eyed. Like, she's like, oh my gosh, look at this dashing, handsome, you know, Robin Hood freedom fighter oh my god he's wonderful i trust him isn't he great and just like doesn't pay attention to any of the evidence in front of her whatsoever hey, um that, that's you know, like, because after all she's still a teenager she likes this boy and that's blinded her to the reality of the situation that um, and people
0: and, with but, aspd are charismatic sorry what that and people who are developing like jet are incredibly charismatic
1: yeah, I mean, yeah, that makes... he does. He's extremely charismatic. Katara um, is a teenager, he, he but... He remains that way.
0: Yeah, Katara is a teenager, but he is still incredibly charming.
1: hmm Like, if I were a kid, yeah.
0: I may have fallen for him, too.
1: I mean, Aang does as well. I mean, part of it is because he trusts Katara so much and wants to, like... For his own reasons, he wants to make Katara happy, right? So he kind of falls for it and goes along with it, too. But Sokka... Sokka gets to be the mature one in this circumstance. Sokka sees through Jet's bullshit.
0: Yeah, because when Jet starts talking about his plans, which amount to drowning an entire village of civilians, Sokka sees the cracks. Because Sokka's a warrior, and he's interested in the logic of attacks. And when Jet starts talking about his plan, Sokka's like, well, wait, but... First of all, Sokka doesn't trust charming dudes. It seems, Um, like Jet's charisma rubs him the wrong way because he's all flash and no substance, and he's hiding stuff. And Sokka sees it, so Sokka gets. to Sokka
1: is lots of substance and very little flash.
0: So we get to see Sokka like be very competent in this episode. Uh, a it's the
1: first of, hint, you know?
0: Yeah, I was just about to say, like, it's a signal of what's to come. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's see here. So we get to see Zuko's trauma. We get a front row seat to that. We get to... It's actually told by Iroh to uh, Zuko's ship crew because the crew's ragging on the boss, which is fair, because Zuko's a yeah, dick.
1: Yeah, he's a dick. <laughs> like.
0: But we learn uh, why Zuko is the way he is. We flash back, and he's to- a total normally, pr- like normal prince who loves his dad and loves his mom. And he's kind of mopey and like, oh, I don't want to look sensitive. But he's, you know, he's other- a
1: 13 year old boy,
0: he's otherwise a kid. <clears throat> and he is so looking, he so wants his father's approval and wants to grow up and and be a contributing member of his society, which means like conflict and genocide. And he finally gets a chance to go to a war briefing. And his uncle's like, dude, you need to shut your fucking trap. Um, You don't want to say anything because you'll insult your like the, you'll insult people in here. And Zuko's like, yeah, I can handle it. And Zuko's still a kid, so when he walks in, the military generals present suggest a plan for invasion that includes taking raw recruits and using them as cannon fodder for an elite guard to swing around and flank the enemy. Very effective but heartless tactic. And Zuko is a child, and he's like, wait. Those are loyal Fire Nation citizens that you're just throwing to the slaughter. And Zuko's right, of course. Mm -hmm. And his father gets offended and says Zuko must fight an Agni Kai, which is a fire-bending duel. And these duels are, are, are to the death, it's implied, a lot of the time. So... Zuko shows up to the Agni Kai, believing that he's got to fight the old general that he insulted. And he turns around and his father is there. He's got to duel his father. Jesus. And in front of
1: everyone, by the way, it's like a big event.
0: So we see Zuko go to his knees and he starts pleading. He's like, I didn't know that I was in, like, I was like, by insulting the general in front of his father, he truly insulted his father, ergo... He had to fight his dad. Mm -hmm. Zuko pleads not to do it. And we hear Mark Hamill's voice say, like, he has to do it. He's pathetic. He has to do it. Stand up and fight. And Zuko's like, you're my dad. I'm not going to fight you. And so what does the Fire Lord do? The Fire Lord burns his right eye. Left eye. Yeah. Burns his left eye. Gives him this giant scar. He basically maims his child. Mm-hmm. Uh, right he says to him,
1: um, I can't remember the exact quote, but it says, uh, you must learn respect and suffering will be your teacher, I believe.
0: Yeah, it's very much something along those lines. Mm-hmm. And he's exiled after that. He's burned and exiled and he's told the only way that you can come back is if you find the Avatar. Therefore, that's why Zuko cares so much and why Zuko is such a dick. And and the the crew is like, wow. Mm -hmm. Oh, wow.
1: Yeah. And I can't remember whether it's in season one or season two when, I think it might be season two, I think it might be May that he's fighting with, but he says, you know, it's like, my father decided to teach me a permanent lesson on my face. You know? So he's like, he carries, he carries a physical manifestation of his perceived shame with him everywhere forever
0: a scarlet mark if you would whatever what's that book called
1: the scarlet letter
0: yeah scarlet letter
1: yeah yeah in in the form of a big-ass face scar over his eye
0: um so that's why zuko is the way he is and it adds a lot of context to him Now, we've got our groups traveling around, Zuko's chasing the Avatar, the Avatar Team Avatar is running around being kids, having fun, finding bending lessons, meeting new people, learning lessons, very wholesome, until eventually they make it to the Northern Water Tribe, and we already kind of talked about the sexist stuff. But basically, Aang and Katara learn some badass water bending. And the season culminates in an awesome two parter that mm-hmm. involves a fire nation invasion of the Northern Water Tribe, lots of fighting. Zuko actually captures Aang. Um, mm-hmm. just- so I think, really
1: quick, this leads into like the last two big things that I wanted to talk about, which are spirity stuff and Admiral Zhao. Um, because to understand this, the close of this season, you need both those things, right? So Admiral Zhao, he's our secondary antagonist for season one. He's a Fire Nation. He was first a commander, but got uh, promoted to Admiral in the Fire Navy. He is a dick and a crazy person um he wants to capture the avatar for his own personal glory um and he suspects Zuko of being a traitor even before Zuko is um and is also chasing the avatar and everybody all around and he's the one who leads he sort of disgraces Zuko and Iroh further in the eyes of the Fire Lord and he leads the invasion on the northern water tribe
0: So Zhao comes up with this plan because there's this little thing about waterbending and the fact that it's a spiritual power. And that is waterbending is controlled by the moon, the so-called first waterbender, right? Pushing the tides. And at the full moon, waterbenders are incredibly powerful, right? Their power waxes and wanes with the moon. So Zhao is like, I'm going to terminate Cause the, the Fire Nation attacks on a full moon, which really just seems like a terrible and Iroh says as much to Zhao. He's like, You're an idiot. You really yeah, it's need a to horrible strategy. Pull pull back your forces until the moon. And Zhao's like, you know what? I'm not going to do this very reasonable and ecologically simple choice. No. No, 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 no. I'm going to take arcane knowledge that I got from a library and I'm going to kill the moon.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry, I think that's what he does, but it sounds so funny when you put it that way. (laughs) Like,
0: I'm going to kill the moon. Completely unreasonable, ecologically irresponsible. And Zhao is like, what the fuck? You do realize that the Fire Nation relies on the moon, right? You do realize that, like, we all need the moon, and Zhao is like <laughs> so, gonna, shake, gonna kill the moon gonna kill it so they, they attack and Zhao knows okay the water and the oh, sorry the ocean and the moon spirit the spirits representing those two so, like bodies they left the spirit world to live in the physical world thousands of years ago and it turns out that they live at the North Pole and they live they're in the, fishies they, they're fish, and they live in the spring, and they move in a yin and yang uh, symbol. One is black, and one is white, and, you know, they got a white dot and a black dot, right? They're, they're just a yin, living yin yang symbol. Yeah, so, continually <clears throat>
1: circling one another forever.
0: The Zhao's like, I'm going to kill the fish, because if you kill the fish, you kill the spirit, and if you kill the spirit, you kill the moon. Because, mm-hmm. <sighs> so, they succeed. Team Avatar tries to stop this from happening, but Zuko fucks their shit up and steals the Avatar and they can't stop... <laughs> he does. Stop,
1: he physically steals Egg.
0: They, can, they can't stop Zhao. So Zhao all, like, Zhao kills the moon and everything turns red and there's, like, the moon turns red and the, everything, like, has this red tent over it and Zhao's like, uh-oh. <laughs> um... So, things go really bad, and Iroh betrays his people, and this is a sign of things to come. Iroh realizes Zhao is crazy, so he fights Zhao, and gets Zhao to release the fish, but it's too late, and the fish is dead, and Iroh's like, this is bad, guys, this is bad, and... But then it, it turns out that the Princess of the Water tribe died as a who kid.
1: Zaka
0: is into, by the way. Yeah, is like, you're my girlfriend now. Um mm-hmm. and she's got an arranged marriage, and and is like, fuck your fuck your arranged marriage. Let's get together. And they kind of do. And so, so her name is Moe. Ua UA. Not Moe. Ua, And you <laughs> Moe is like a style of <laughs> like it's like like a porn thing (laughs) thing. (laughs) 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 for you anime lovers out there you're gonna get a kick out of that Um, (laughs) so we've got yue who was gonna die as a kid so her dad besieged the moon spirit and the moon spirit's like okay so you're gonna be my insurance policy and (laughs) brings the girl back to life and she's like, she's got white hair, and and so UA comes to the pool, and she's like, "This fish gave its life for me, so I'm going to give my <laughs> life for this fish." In a very aquatic version of the Jesus story, and so UA <laughs> dies for the sins of Zhao and the moon, and the moon comes it back. Turns to, into the moon, <laughs> and she turns into the moon, and it's a funny joke that pops up down the line but everything is okay and Aang turns into a giant fish um, using water bending.
1: He, he merges with the ocean spirit and is a giant fish with arms and legs and he fucks up the fire navy fleet
0: and it's a resounding route because the only thing that the fire nation has destroyed are some ice buildings that the waterbenders can rebuild really easily mm-hmm. so All in all, crushing defeat for the Fire Nation, resounding, Mm -hmm. uh, and, and it's really fun and very spiritual and crazy.
1: Yeah. So, oh, also during this time, like, just really quickly, Aang does a spirit journey. He goes to the spirit world to talk to the spirit co- well he's trying to figure out, he doesn't realize that he's literally sitting right in front of the moon and ocean spirits, he needs to talk to them doesn't realize he's sitting right in front of them so he's like, who knows who they are, they're so so old, like, I need to know their names so he ends up talking to this spirit called Ko, who is the face stealer, who if you make any facial expressions, he will steal your face, and he's terrifying he's this like millipede thing that talks in a sibilant voice and his face changes all the time, and he's super Super (sighs) creepy. And that's Co.
0: Nightmare fuel for the children. Mm -hmm. For the chillins.
1: Yeah. And a quick Easter egg. I don't know. Can I mention an Easter egg that happens in Korra? Is that okay with you? Yes. So, basically, right when Aang goes into the spirit world, he, like or outside Ko's place, he finds these mists, and it's like, oh, these are the mists where people who get lost in the spirit world, like, wander for eternity, right? And when Ang sea spirit fish thing fucks up the Fire Navy, Zhao just kind of disappears, and then there's an episode of Korra where she's walking through the spirit mists and all of a sudden out of the mist, his figure comes up and he's shouting over and over again I'm Admiral Zhao of the Fire Nation I must capture the Avatar and so we find out in Korra that Admiral Zhao ended up being transported to the spirit world and like trapped in the spirit mists forever
0: Spooky (laughs) but also kind of like hell
1: yeah honestly yeah, kind of like hell. Um, okay, so okay.
0: season one gives us a lot to talk about, but mm-hmm. there's a lot that we can't talk about effectively until it comes up in the other two seasons. Mm-hmm. And we're already at an hour and 23 minutes.
1: Yeah, I think we've said enough about season one.
0: So that season one is really good, but it doesn't... Okay, season one is good, but season two and three are better.
1: Yeah, basically. Because also in season two, you get Toph.
0: And Azula.
1: And Azula. Ooh. For every... Yeah, season... This show is so rich, guys. There's all this stuff that we, like, just didn't even talk about at all. You know, like, King Boomy and shit like that. Really good shit that we just didn't have time to discuss. Because there's so much in this show.
0: But we... Oh, uh... Asianic countries and spirituality and trauma and, and and lots of stuff.
1: Yeah, God, it's good. Lots so of- I don't know if you want to watch along. I mean, we're gonna do we're gonna do an episode a season with this one. We're doing this is our season one episode. We're gonna do a season two episode. We're gonna do a season three episode. So you've got time, man. If you want to watch, you know, it's gonna take a couple of days for us to get all of this out. So you know. Start watching Avatar again. See what you think. Send us some messages. Uh, maybe if you send us a really good message, maybe we'll read it on the show. Yeah,
0: we should. If you find a different theme in one of these shows, you should do. Uh, you should tell us.
1: Yeah. Shoot us an email, animates at gmail.com. Got that numeral 8 in there. Tweet at us, animates uh, at animates, twitter.com.
0: Send us a Facebook
1: message. Post on our Facebook page. It's called Animaties Podcast. We're Animaties everywhere. You can find us.
0: So, before we we do the outro here, I do want to say, because Paige and I, we've got through a season of material, we have a good idea of the quality of content that we're producing, and, and based on people's suggestions, we now have a Patreon page. And the reason that we do have a page is not because we actually intend to make any sort of profit but SoundCloud is kind of expensive not terribly Uh expensive but it's like right now we're paying for the ability to host our content and all we're looking to do is cover costs if you feel that you would like to support us Um, you can look up our Patreon page. You should just be able to search Animates and it will pop up with the same logo that you've come to expect from uh, any of our other social media outlets or SoundCloud. Two bucks, right? Small amounts are are totally acceptable. Uh, Give whatever you feel is appropriate. Don't give if you don't care. If people end up, giving us a surplus we'll always invest back into the show um you know better sound equipment travel to do in-person shows with one another you know fun little things like that
1: little stuff like that and i think i'm pretty sure we have two patrons already we have had one for a few weeks now and another one who i think just became a Patron, sometime in the last few days so thank you guys so much we really appreciate
0: it and if you haven't remember to hit us up on social media outlets rate us on itunes spread the word
1: yep it'll really help other people find the show if you guys rate the show and write a review because you know we're so excited about avatar and we think probably other people are too so we'd love it if they could hear the show
0: But as for today, that is all. We will be doing Avatar The Last Airbender Season 2 on our next episode, which we will hopefully have up very soon.
1: Uh, But until next time, I've been Paige.
0: And I've been Chris. And this has been Animateds.